Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. This is the 29th episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that's likely quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that levels the playing field and help everyone live their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, learn, struggle, work, and live in our world. My guest today has turned adversity in life to strength and lives his passion to create opportunities for at-risk youth and to redefine capitalism and the essence of what it means to lead. From a daily existence of poverty, abuse, eviction, and discrimination, he worked his way to CEO of Scribe Media, a publishing company that helps individuals from a variety of backgrounds write, publish, and market their books. Scribe was recently ranked the number one top company culture in America by Entrepreneur Magazine. He's an author and highly sought after keynote speaker, delivering the message that everyone has a story. We are fortunate to be hearing his story today. I am honored that world changer Javon McCormick is joining us. Javon, welcome to Our Voices. Wow, Molly, you just call me a world changer. I mean, I'm just trying to change the conference room right now. <laughs> <laughs> world changer in ways big and small, my friend. <laughs> How are you? I could not be more fabulous because I'm just, just delighted to have to host you on the show. And I, we have to give a shout out to our friend Dave Wharton who um, is the founder of the Tugboat Institute and a champion for evergreen businesses, which folks are businesses that are truly people first, purpose driven, and they're committed to endure profitably over the long haul and to make a dent in the universe. So I'm really grateful to Dave um, and all the folks in the Tugboat community. Um, Javon, your experiences have helped you clearly articulate the change you see that we need in the world. And I'm really looking forward to your thoughts there. To start though, I appreciate you helping listeners to get to know you and how it is you become who you are doing what you're doing. Ooh, Molly, that's a, that's a big question. Where, where do you, where do you want me to start? That's uh, well, that's, that's, that's dangerous. It's just, this isn't this so great. It's just the thrill <laughs> of being in the danger zone, danger, danger. I love it. Uh, Javon, I, you know, First childhood memory, you start at the beginning, you start anywhere you want. It's your story, and I, uh, I'm i just grateful you're sharing with us. Wow, first childhood memory. You know, I, I really won't, I, I don't know that I have a quote-unquote first childhood memory, but I, I know my childhood well. My my dad was black, my mom was white, my dad was a um, pimp, and, and when I say pimp, he was a real-life 1970s pimp. He put women on a street corner. They sold their bodies. My dad took every dollar. Um, uh, along the way, he, he managed to also find time to father 23 children. I'm one of 23. My mom was white. Uh, she was an orphan. She was raised in a 50s institutional orphanage, you know, where the kids were neglected, beat, uh, abused. And when she turned 17 years old, 
They gave her $20, a small suitcase, and they said, there's the world. Good luck to you. And unfortunately for my mom, one of the first people she met was my quite a bit older, well-dressed, fast-talking father. So that's how I came into the world. My dad was a pimp. My mom was one of his prostitutes. And I am truly a product of an abortion gone wrong. And what I mean by that is back in 1970, when my mother got pregnant the first time, abortion was still illegal and a pregnant prostitute is no good to a pimp. So my dad took my mom to have an illegal abortion in some back alley uh, place and no anesthesia. And my mom told me it was so horrific, the experience and, and what she went through afterwards that when she got pregnant the second time with, with me, she took her chances and said she'd raise a child. And, and that always jumped out to me because I thought to myself, wow, that had to be just a horrible experience that you took your chances to raise a child versus go and, and have an abortion again, especially that, you know, she didn't even know how to raise herself. You know, she had no parents, no family. And, and, more importantly, you know, my dad completely cut her off when she decided to have a kid. So she, we, you know, she raised me on welfare. We grew up extremely poor. I call it U.S. poor because let, let's be honest, Molly, the poor in other countries is way different than poor in the United States. So I, I grew up U.S. poor nonetheless. Um, I've eaten out of trash cans. I've been in, in and out of juvenile prison three different times. I was sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes at the age of six, seven, eight years old. She used to force me to perform oral sex on her. And if I didn't do it right, she'd slap me in the face, punch me in the head and tell me to do it right. Um, I was abandoned in, in a house with three of my half brothers and sisters at the age of 12. We got left in Dayton, Ohio for three weeks. No one knew we were there. I, gosh, I was homeless at 13. And once I got reunited with my mother in Texas at 15, she took me to get tested um, uh, academically. And Molly, I was testing on a fifth and sixth grade level. So fast forward from 15, uh, two years later, when I was supposed to graduate from high school, I never graduated because I clearly was not academically smart enough. So I got my GED. I don't have a college degree. And here I am. Un, unbelievable, unbelievable, <laughs> and look at the, just just the smile on your face. I wish folks could see that warm smile. So, Javon, when you were going through this as a young person, just uh, we're not actually pretending we could actually get it. Did you like? Were you like wondering? Was it survival? Were you? Did you feel sorry for yourself? I'm just curious if you recall the thoughts and feelings you had. You know, I, I believe you have, have many different thoughts and feelings at the time, depending on the circumstance. So I, I will say, I don't recall ever feeling sorry for, for myself. Um, you know, there were times where I remember being sad because we didn't have enough food. You know, it, 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 I received free lunch at school. So on, on Friday, when I got my free lunch, I knew there wasn't any food at home. So I knew come Saturday, Sunday, I wasn't going to eat and I wasn't going to eat again until uh, Monday when I got free lunch again. So that, that the moments like that would make me sad. Other times you, you used a very key word there. You said uh, survival. 
I've always said my, my mother taught me how to survive. I taught myself how to thrive. But her giving me the gift of survival was one of the greatest gifts uh, she ever gave me because I, I can completely take care of myself. I, I know how to iron. I know how to wash clothes. I know how to do dishes. I know how to grocery shop. I know how to sew a button. And what's interesting is those were all skills that my mother le- learned in the orphanage. So she passed to me the things that she could could offer. Uh, but she also taught me how to be resourceful. I remember my mom making $2 last for the whole week. And, and uh, so, so, you know, I, I do recall being sad at times, sometimes confused, especially going through the, the uh, being sexually molested, you know, I, I, and it's my joke. Some people don't appreciate the joke, but damn it is my joke. But, you know, at, at six, seven, eight years old, and, and this woman is is uh, forcing me to perform oral sex on her. And, you know, she's screaming at me to do it right. I, I, I tell people, you know, I'm, I'm 51 years old now and I know grown ass people that still don't know what do it right means. So it's uh, I, I, I just was so confused at the time. But but I still remember making the commitment that I wasn't going to say anything to my mom because I knew she wouldn't let me go see my dad on the weekends anymore. And I rarely saw him anyway. So it was just one of those things that I had to tuck away. But one of the greatest gifts that came from that, Molly, is I remember probably one of the last times uh, she molested me. I just remember it was it was very harsh. And, and I remember saying to myself, you know what? I am never going to be in a position where I don't know what to do. And that became really a, an initiative of mine in life to always know what you need to know to to get through a situation, out of a situation, uh, to make the most of a situation. So, yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't use. Um, it's sad many times, confused. Um, I, I know I was sad a lot for my mom uh, that that I didn't like watching what she had to endure. You know, being called a nigger lover because she had a child by a black man and watching us get evicted from uh, public housing at times because they didn't want mixed race in the public housing. And what's crazy is, Molly, black people live there, white people live there, but they didn't want mixed race. And and I remember us getting evicted. So, you know, my childhood was harsh for me, but it really sucked to watch what my mom went through. Javon, did you friends, uh, mentors, people you who you other than your your mom that supported you? No, not really. I I really appreciate that question. That's been coming up more and more for me lately. People have asked me though, did did you have any mentors? And no, I, I even at fifty one now, I've never had a quote unquote mentor. I the the world has been my mentor. Society has been my mentor. Observation has been my mentor. That's that's how. I've achieved to to where I am, but there was no quote unquote, someone took me under their wing and, and taught me this. I, I learned from watching from some, from observation. Um, and, and the, the world still to this day is, is my mentor. And, and I'll give you an example of this. Uh, some people will say to me sometimes, you know, maybe there's a, a difficult, challenging, you know, situation you're going through and I've had so many people say, well, you know, yeah, Javon, I don't I don't have your backstory and I don't have some of those challenges you made it through to to lean on when times are hard. And I and I tell people, 
I actually don't use my own past as a barometer to help get me through a situation. I use current day uh, affairs, things that are that are going on in life. And, and I'll give you a quick example of this. You know, right right now, there's a single mom with an eight-year-old and a six-year-old walking 1,100 miles from Honduras, and they're standing on the, the border of Mexico and Texas trying to debate how they're going to get into this country. And so when, when I think of a situation like that, of you're, you, the only thing you have is what you're walking with, and you've got these two kids you're responsible for, and you're trying to get across the, the, the river, and, and here's your reward if you do happen to get into the country. Great. You got in. You still don't have any money. You still don't have shelter. You still don't have a a place to live. You don't have a job. You don't speak the language. And so I look at situations that are here and now, and and I find my inspiration, my strength uh, uh, to work through a challenging situation to say, okay, if, if they can do that, then I can get through whatever it is I'm going through. I love the ability to have such perspective and to actually see it clearly. And um, yeah, I guess that training really helps you not to get overwhelmed by your own self. So this notion of school and not, you know, being super academic, how did you, how did you not take that um, and, and think less of yourself? Javon, I think that's a really hard thing uh, for young people. You're kind of defined a lot by external um, inputs. And it's just fabulous, right? That you, you rose above it and didn't let you yourself kind of not give yourself credit. You know, Molly went from, so from the ages of nine to 15 is when I, I was supposed to be living with my father, but that did, didn't quite work out that way. So I was just bounced around from place to place. And because of the schools I went to, where we were, and, and, you know, all the, for the most part, all these kids were just pushed through. And so it really didn't become embarrassing to me until I reunited with my mother at 15 and I was supposed to be a sophomore in high school. And so here I am in high school. And I, you know, I realized, I remember saying this to myself, I remember, damn, I'm I'm a dumb kid. Like I, I don't know any of this. I, I remember when she first took me to register for school, Molly, and the counselor said, "Okay, you're you're 15. You should be a sophomore. Uh, you should be in geometry." Molly, that was the first time I'd ever heard that word, and and you know, th- so I remember it was then that I really was like, "Oh man, I'm not too bright. This is this is a struggle." Um, that that bothered me it, when when I first got to the to the high school that I realized okay I I wasn't different when I was in Dayton because a lot of kids were being pushed through a lot of kids were poor a lot of kids were were struggling and, and had challenges at at home no parents you know incarceration we we were all struggling with something but then you know coming back with my mom and and living in the suburbs and you know going to a relatively nice school. I, I stood out in a completely different manner and it wasn't good. So that that's when it became a little bit embarrassing. I was actually happy when school was over, regardless if I got my uh, high school diploma or not, because then I got my first job and my first job was cleaning toilets. But but I okay, I know how to work. I I am all I can outwork anyone. And I was actually happy to be uh, out of school. 
So, so you're getting through school. You can see like I'm getting out of this place that I'm not meant to be. And how did you find your first job? And just share with us how you, you know, built yourself. Okay. So, so when I was a kid, my, my mother and I, you know, when you're, when you're poor, uh, you, you really, all you have is laughter, you know, so you, you try to make a joke out of anything. And so my mom and I would, would always joke. We would always say, we're so poor, we can't afford the O and the R. We're just po. And, and so oddly enough, when I got my GED, I came home and I told my mom, I said, mom, I got my GED. I was so excited. And she said, great, you got two weeks to find a job or get out. And I was like, oh, damn. Like no celebration, nothing. And, and I said, okay. So the next day I had to go find a job at Molly, the first place. And, and it, it's only the only reason I stopped there because it was the first place. Um, Molly, I could have gone to Burger King, McDonald's, uh, you know, Target, Walmart. Nope. My first job was at Po Folks, literally a <laughs> restaurant called Po Folks. And my job was cleaning toilets. I, I came in in the morning and I had to clean the toilets from the night, be- the night before. Of course, they were always filthy. And I remember one day just, just standing in front of those toilets. I had been there, I don't know, three, four weeks. And I said, okay, if this is my job, I am going to have the cleanest toilets in the state of Texas. And for years, Molly, I never admitted this, that actual attitude came from my dad. My dad had shared with me and some of my siblings when we were younger, he said, look, I don't care what you do in life, but whatever it is, be the best at it. And he said, I don't care if you sweep streets for a living, be the best street sweeper. Now, he could have given us something a little more to aspire to, but I got the message. And so with my job being cleaning toilets, I said, okay, I'm going to be the best at it. You're remarkable. That's really remarkable. So how long were you doing this job before you realized, okay, I want to do something different? So my mother was working at an insurance company and she saw that, okay, I went to work each day. I did did, did my little job. So I don't know, maybe I was at that, that restaurant for about three months. And an opening at the insurance company uh, came about and it was for a file clerk, you know, I, I, I was a mail boy, you know, I, I filed and it de- delivered mail, I pushed this basket around. So, so, you know, essentially, I got in because my, my mom worked there. Uh, Molly, my, my first, uh, I, I made $10,000 a year <laughs> was, was my salary. And I was at the insurance company. And I didn't want to be a file clerk uh, forever. And so, but, but one of that, now here's, again, life is full of positives and gifts. Sometimes you have to find them and you have to look back and you have to dissect the situation. Oh, but the positives are always there, even in some of the most negative situations. So one day I'm pushing my cart at the insurance company. I'm a file clerk and I come past this sign, Molly, and it said, uh, free lunch and learn 401k. Well, of course, all I saw was free lunch. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I am there. I signed me up. I Molly, I didn't give a damn what the what the free lunch, the, but the the actual learn part was. It said free lunch. It could Molly, it could have been free lunch and learn uh, foot fungus. Hey, count me in. I'm 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 here. And so, I, 
I walk by and it, it, I look, I'm like, oh, I am going to that. And this lady's walking by me and I say, excuse me, ma'am, can you tell me where conference room 401k is? And she laughed and, and I, cause I didn't know what a 401k was. I, I thought it was a conference room. And she said, no, that's what the uh, lunch and learn is actually about. So I attended this lunch and learn and Molly, I heard two of the greatest words in the history of humanity. Molly, you can have fire, you can have the wheel, you can have electricity. Damn it. Give me compound interest. I, I was hooked. And so it, it was such a great blessing that I got to learn this. And I just became immersed in all things stock market uh, learning. You know, when they said you can take $100 and turn it into $200, coming from where I come from, I was like, okay, the only thing you're really able to do that with is it's got to be illegal. And, and so <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. And like, nobody comes looking for you. And, and so it's uh <laughs> I thought it was great. I, I taught myself how to invest in the stock market and that, but uh, after being at the insurance company for a while, I wanted to branch out. You know, I was like, okay, I don't want to be a file clerk forever. So I started applying to different places. And, and Molly, again, I'm 51. This is back when you actually had to work to get work. And, and what I mean by that is you had to take your resume to places. You had to knock on doors. You had to cold call. There was no upload a resume and, and, and hope for the best. Uh, you actually had to put in work to get work. And so what was interesting, this is what was a massive shift for me. I could not get on people's calendars, couldn't get an invite, couldn't get a, 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 an actual interview, nothing. And one day, a gentleman, white gentleman, picked up the phone and he asked, he said, hey, how did you get a black first name, Javon, and an Irish last name, McCormick? Now, now what was interesting, Molly, is, is my mom, I have my mom's last name, and, and she got that last name in the orphanage. We have no clue who, how, why we have this last name. <laughs> so when he, when he said Irish last name, I was like, oh, shit, Irish last this is amazing. I got an Irish last name. And, and that's all I focused on. And so, but when I hung up, I was like, oh, oh, they're seeing the name Javon. And so I said, that's it. My full name is Javon Thomas McCormick. I said, okay, I'm going to go by JT McCormick because no one's going to know who that is. Molly, the next week, the next week, callbacks, appointments, invites, a calendar. I, I got it all. I cannot tell you how many times I walked into a room and someone would say, JT McCormick? And I'd go, yes. Oh, you're you're not who we expected. And, and I would have this look on my face like, who did you expect? And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a, a, a big shift, a game changer, if you will. That is, that is extraordinary. And I'm just really... I just can imagine you with that light bulb going off, ding, 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 ding. And um, so, Javon, when you're, you know, you're with these folks, you understand that they're perhaps not, you know, being as open or seeing people as equitably as we might like. And so how, um, how do, you know, you have an incredible way to connect with people. So just, just talk about how you saw good in them. You know, you didn't kind of, you, people could see that and, and be bitter about it, right? Um, but just talk about how you stayed, you know, high about it, and then made it work, and and how you 
you know, how you connect with people. I mean, obviously one of the success factors you have to have is just your ability to really, you know, look eye to eye and, and have that person know that you are really with them. You know, Molly, it's interesting. I, I, I'll share this with you. And, and some people have said, and I'm not going to lie, it offends me. It, people have said where I learned it from was disgusting because, so my dad was a pimp and I, and I share with people, you, you, if you really take a, a step back and think about this, you have to be a masterful communicator with words to convince a woman to stand on a corner, sell her body, and give you the money. And so I grew up watching my dad do this. Equally as important, I watched that everyone loved him. Everyone. Like we couldn't drive in his car for five minutes without someone flagging him down and wanting to talk to him. Everyone loved him. And and what was interesting, unless he was at the time yelling at one of the, the the women to, you know, get their get their money up and get back out there. My dad was always positive. No matter the situation, he was always positive. And that rubbed off on me. And and I really realized that okay, a positive attitude can change everything. A negative attitude does nothing. And so everything was from a positive uh perspective because an important lesson that that came with, like you said, what where did I learn to connect with people and even people who didn't necessarily like me being in the room or like seeing me? Um, when I was eight years old, my mother and I, this is back in the 70s when when you know we were on welfare and you had to stand in line, Molly, back, you know, three, four hours for your free allotment of food stamps for your handout. It's not like today, you know, we've made it a little too damn convenient. Uh, you know, you, you, they just put it on a debit card and shows up in your account. No, this is back when you had to wait in line for it. And I remember on one occasion, I was eight years old and we were in line and this older white lady looks down at me. She looks up at my mother and she spits in my mother's face and she calls her a nigger lover. And what was sad is no one came to my mom's defense and my mom just stood there and wiped the spit from her face, the tears from her eyes. She she couldn't leave the line because she had to feed her mixed race son. And and it hit me two two things, two takeaways. Uh, the first one was I remember looking at the the older white lady, thinking to myself, "Okay, um, you're in the same broke ass line as we are. What makes you any better than than us?" That was one. And then two, it really came together for me that oh wow. Because I'm mixed race, because my, my my dad's black, my mom's white, everyone's not going to like me. No matter what I do in this world, no matter how much money I have, no matter what I do, there's nothing I can do to make everyone like me. And that was the greatest feeling because the rest of my life, I've never spent my life worrying about, oh my God, they don't like my shirt. Oh, they don't like my hair. They don't like my eyes. And and you and I both know this, Molly. Some people don't learn that lesson until high school, college, God forbid, not until your first career. And they're shook. They're, it just rocks the world that they just learned that someone does not like them. I I learned that shit at eight years old. So it, it hasn't bothered me. Um, and then to, to your point, when I would come into these interviews, I just knew stay positive. 
One of these people may not like you, but stay positive. Don't let their attitude change yours. Wow. I, you know, I just, just so much, so much wisdom in that positive attitude can change everything. Negative attitude does nothing. It's, it, it, I, I teach my daughter that right now, my, my uh, eight-year-old. I teach all my children that. I, I tell them all the time, a negative attitude changes nothing. You can, it actually makes things worse. And, and a positive attitude can actually change everything. Every now and then, my, my, my eight-year-old, she wants to be a little smart aleck. And, and I said, look, tell me what happens every time uh, you're, you're rude. And she said, well, then mom gets upset and maybe, you know, I, you know, I have a consequence or, or whatever. I said, but what happens every time you're positive? You, she goes, you celebrate me. You tell me great attitude. You, you high-five me. I said, so again, a positive attitude changes everything. A negative attitude does nothing. Uh, this is fabulous. Okay, before we go to the family, because I do want to go there. So, okay, you're you're studying stock market. You're on fire. You know, <laughs> 401k is not a conference room name. So, just share with us. You know, what did you? How did you? You know, parlay that and and shape your own career because it's just it's just magical. So I went from working at the insurance company and I ended up working for a payday loan company. And what drew me in is that the owner of the payday loan company, um, all he had was a high school diploma and he had started with one office. But at the time when I met him, he had over 450 offices now. And that really intrigued me. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing. So I went to work for him and and Molly, my job, when I started off, I worked back in what was called the proofing department. And all you did for nine hours a day is you looked at it, looked at a printed out report and deposit slips. And you made sure that the amounts matched the report and the deposit slips. So no money was missing. And you did that all day for nine hours. So I'm there like three months. And I'm like, this sucks. I hate this. So one day I asked the manager, I said, hey, what's the record? And this is where my dad kicked in, be the best. And I asked her, I said, how many reports have been proved in a day? And she said, 42. I said, okay. And on my drive home that night, I said, okay, tomorrow I'm coming in. I'm just going to shatter that. And my goal was 71. I picked 71 because I was born in 71. <laughs> and so, so I did 71 reports that day. And then the next day I did 72 well, the next, the, so 71 on Thursday, 72 on Friday, Monday morning, uh, the the owner of the company, I hear him. So so my name is Javon, but he's this country white guy down in Bernie, Texas. And I hear Jovan. And I, you know, I get up and he said, come up here, son. And so I go walking up to the front of the, the office and I say, yes, sir. He goes, hell, son, come on into my office. Let me talk to you. And we sit down. He goes, well, clearly, son, that's not what you want to do the rest of your life, is it? And I go, no, sir. He goes, well, what do you want to do? And he had this, this picture of him, the, the CEO and owner, and all of the executive team. He had it behind him uh, or, or hanging on the wall. And so I looked at it and I go, well, I want to be in the picture. And he goes, hell, son, you got a set of balls on you, don't you? <laughs> and I said, you asked me what I wanted to do. Um, worst case scenario, all he could say was no. Uh, and, and he goes, here, I tell you what I'm going to do. He would send me out 
throughout the country to all these little offices in these godforsaken cities. And what would happen is most of the people who were doing the job, the office would close at, at five o'clock. You know, so people who were also like me traveling out to these different places, office would close at five. They'd go hang out in the hotel. Well, I'm like, well, I'm, all I'm going to do is sit there. So I would stay in these offices until 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, just studying like, okay, why is this happening? Why does this do this? Why does that do that? And so what happened over about three months, I built this reputation that if you sent me to an office, I, I could kind of turn it around. Things got positive. And, and so that got back to the owner again. And so there again, three months later, he goes, hell, Jovan, what son? You just, if I had 11 more of you, I could take over the world. And he said, I'm going to give you three options and I'm going to make you a vice president. I was 23 years old. And he said, I, I'm going to make you a vice president. You can go to Louisiana, Las Vegas, or Portland, Oregon. I had been in Shreveport, Louisiana for quite some time. Ooh. And I had visited Vegas to the, the offices, uh, contrary to what people may think when they see the strip and the glitz and the glamour and, and all, all that off of the strip. Oh, Vegas is not a nice place. And I had never been to Portland, Oregon. He said, so, okay, son, I'm going to send you up there for the weekend. Tell me how you like it and make a decision. Molly, I get there. I, I land. I land and I call him from the airport and I go, I, I want to move here. He goes, hell, son, did, didn't you just get there? I go, yes, sir. He goes, hell, you hadn't seen the city. I go, they have trees and fresh air. And, and, and Molly, it was January in Portland, Oregon. Like it was, <laughs> it, it, But I had never seen such beauty. It was gorgeous. And so I said, I want to move here. And he's like, son, go, go enjoy yourself. Um, have a good weekend. And okay, great. You can go there. I ended up moving there, Molly. I was 23 years old. I was vice president of the, there was three offices. I got there. I opened up three more, uh, bought out two competitors, had eight offices, and I ended up uh, leaving and going back to San Antonio. And, I, and I'll be quick. The reason why I left is payday loans keep people trapped. And and, and I, I don't want to be completely negative because they also help out a lot of people who were were in need, you know, maybe your electricity's cut off, or maybe you you were able to get food that night. So it it has benefited many a person, but it's built to keep people trapped. And and I was really good at keeping people trapped. And and one day, a white mom comes walking in to pay on her loan, and she's got this little boy with her, and you can clearly see he's mixed race, and he's got curly hair, and I literally lost it, and I went to the back, started crying. And because it reminded me of me and my mom, and I realized I, I was part of the problem. And and as my mom used to say, just because they make it doesn't mean you should do it. And and so I called up the the owner, and said I'm out. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And yeah, he tried to get me to stay and, and everything, but I, I left. No no job back in Texas. Nothing. I, I packed up and left. Wow, that's a very that's at the core. Um, that all comes flashing back to you. And, you know, I know, I know no regrets and it was something you had to do. You get to Texas and, and then what? 
Oh, I get to Texas and I get into a equally shady business. I got into mortgages. <laughs> there, there was a theme there. How can you make money? And, and so, you know, two very uh, high profiting uh, careers. So I got into mortgages. Uh, I, again, out knocking on doors. One lady ended up hiring me as, you know, the the entry level. I was a loan processor. I learned that. And, and I would always ask for more. You know, I want to be a loan officer. And then I learned I could be an account executive. And, and I started working for Countrywide Home Loans. I'm sure that name rings a bell for many people. Uh-huh. And and so, you know, I ended up being a, a mortgage uh, leader here in uh, Texas. And you know, you name it, that, that, that movie, the big short, that, that, oh, that is so accurate. I mean, it is, it is 100% accurate. I remember when the mortgage crisis started happening in 07, my mother called me and she said, Hey, did you have anything to do with that? And, and I remember I paused and, and I said, well, um, a little bit. <laughs> I said, yeah. I, yeah. A little bit. And, um, but yeah, I, what, what was interesting, Molly is I went broke. All the money I made in the stock market, all the money I made in my career, I, I went broke. I actually call it negative broke in 07. Um, I had to borrow money from my best friend and my stepdad to pay my rent. And that, that was that was a, a hell of a, that was a life-changing moment for me. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I don't know what to say. That's, that's crazy now might be a good time to talk about like money in your relationship to <laughs> money. Oh, wow. Um, well, first and foremost, I'll say this. Um, and Molly, I apologize. I should have asked you beforehand. I didn't know if I could use foul language or not. Um, but what's interesting to me is we've all heard this phrase, money is the root of all evil. You have never heard a poor person say that. That is, that is such a BS comment. It, it like, no, it, it's not. Have, have you ever seen a millionaire rob a 7-Eleven? No. And, and so money is not the root of, of all evil. Not having money is the root of all evil. And, and so my relationship with money was I wanted it, period, point blank. I wanted it. And I was incredibly blessed that at 10 years old, and, and this is this is something I'm very passionate about, right now we have a problem with, with youth, low-income communities, because how can I aspire to be what I don't even know is possible? And how I grew up, I grew up in, you know, a, extreme U.S. poverty, liquor stores, checks, cash, pawn shops, fast food. And I I never saw, I thought that the only avenues out was rapper, athlete, drug dealer. And, and, and I sucked at all three. And so no one told me I could be an entrepreneur. No one said you could be a pharmaceutical rep, an executive, a CEO. Like I didn't even know what those things were. And when I was 10 years old, my dad had moved the pimp game that, that he was in to Houston, Texas. And I remember my dad was driving me through an ultra affluent, exclusive neighborhood called River Oaks. And I see these 10, 15, $25 million homes. And in one family lived in these homes. They were bigger than the projects I was growing up in. And I just remember right there, 10 years old, I looked at those houses and I said, that's it. I'm going to have one of those one day. 
And my, my dad drove me through here. He never said anything. I, I, he could have been driving through for, for himself because he never said a word to me. But that was such a, a pivotal moment for me because it showed me what was possible. I'm like, wow, these houses are possible. And I didn't know how I was going to get one. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to have one. And that that was a, a big change. And so to your point, my relationship with money is because I grew up without it, I always wanted it. And then when I had it, I, you know, blew a lot of it, did stupid stuff with it. Uh, and then in 07, I went broke. And, and really the, the pivotal moment for me, Molly, came. Um, I remember having, you know, $100,000 cars and, and all that good stuff. And But when I went broke, you know, had to turn it all in. And, and you know, I was in a very small one-bedroom apartment just getting by. One night, I go to the gas station at 10 o'clock at night and – I had $10 of quarters in my hand and I walk in, I put it on the counter. I said, $10 on number seven, please. And I'm walking back to the car, Molly. And I swear to this day, I look over, over my shoulder and I, I swear I see my twin, me. And he's smiling at me and I smile back and I was like, Hey, what's up, broke? And that was his name for me. It was, what's up, broke? I go, man, I didn't think I was going to be back here. I go, Hey, I'm not staying long. I already know how to get back out of this. And I get back to my apartment. And, and here it was. This was the moment. I looked in the mirror and I had to have an out loud conversation with myself. I said, wow, you, you've taught yourself business. You've taught yourself how to make millions of dollars in the stock market. But you still have the same horrific character. You don't know how to treat women. You can't hold a relationship. You're a monster. You're derogatory. You have zero respect for women. And I said out loud, I'm like, man, you're just like your dad. And that, that was a moment. And, and I told myself, I'm like, okay, if you can teach yourself business, you can teach yourself to make millions of dollars. You need to go now and teach yourself how to build your character, how to be a man, how to hold a relationship, how to have a relationship. And that was the mission was, okay, you had all this money, but your character was still horrible. What the, 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 the money didn't change your character. Now you're broke and you still have the same horrible character. So what are you going to do here? And first became, okay, how do, how do I work on my character? And then how do we start making money again? I weren't really talking to you. I'm like, okay, you're making it up here. Okay. So, so you have this literally come to Jesus moment, looking yourself in the mirror. It's funny, Molly. I always say to myself, I, I didn't come to Jesus. I had to come to God moment. <laughs> and uh, so you go to bed and you wake up a new man. Ooh, I wouldn't say that. I, you know, I still struggled. You know, I, I didn't know what to do. And, and, and it's, it's interesting, Molly. Oh, you know what I appreciate about this? I don't know if I've, I've ever share, shared this. I, I've shared it with my wife. I used to go to, to the gym. And because I still, I, I didn't have any examples, you know, and, and here's the thing. I don't do the victim thing. Oh, well, my dad was a pimp and my mom was an orphan. I look and I identify, okay, what was the problem? Where did it come from? What's the source? What's the root? Okay. Now that we've identified it, what do we do to change? So I looked and I said, okay, why, why am I like this? And I was like, well, my dad was a pimp. Look how I watched him treat women. My mom, look how I saw her treated. I go, 
okay, I never really had a, a, a model. No one taught me how to, and, but I didn't look and say, oh, well, my dad was a pimp and, and that's why I'm, no, no, you didn't teach yourself how to build your character. You know, right before my mom passed this year, she and I had a great conversation for about two hours and she had this, this deep guilt uh, that I was with my dad for for those those years between nine and fifteen, and I told my mom, I said, "Mom, don't you ever feel guilty about that? You need to let that go." I said, "Because here's the thing: those years, arguably, were some of the best years of my life. I, I know things about this country. I know things about myself. I know how to survive on levels that most people will never even know exist." And I said, "Let that go." I go, "That was such a." a great teaching moment for me. I said, more importantly, here's what you gave me, mom. You gave me life. You did your job. For me, you taught me how to survive. I had to teach myself how to thrive. So don't hold that guilt. And and I don't blame my parents. You know, my dad was a pimp. Mom was a prostitute, never married. I don't blame them for for any of that. I actually see it as, man, that was a gift because I just got to learn things that most people don't. But I would go to the gym and I would see this family and it was a husband, wife, they had four kids and I would just watch how they operated. You know, they took their kids to the daycare and then they'd go to the cafe afterwards in the gym and, and, you know, I'd even watch what car they would go in. And so I kind of befriended the, the husband and I would ask him, oh, okay. And, and he told me his kids go to uh, private Christian school. And he would tell me, you know, what he did for a living. And he would joke about how expensive it was that his kids would go to the cafe and, and so on and so forth. What's crazy, Molly? I've never shared this with anybody. Um, I have a wife. I have four kids. And my four kids go to that same private school that his kids went to. <laughs> So, so when I say I observed and modeled, I observe. And, and here's what's even crazier: his wife was blonde and blue eyed. My wife is blonde and blue eyed. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness! You are very analytical. Well, I mean, you've learned. Yes, I get you know back at fifteen, not an academic, but clearly very analytical. Your uh, ability to see it, your power of observation. And your ability to articulate it all. You know, I think, I think a lot of people who go through this and they could be dragged down. You're, you're able to see, to see the goodness, to help your dear mom, and my condolences for her passing. You know, you're, so, you're able to absolve her of guilt you don't think she be, should be sharing, you know, and, and urging her to let it go and seeing those as possibly the best years of your life. And that's remarkable. Javon, that and and just to listeners, you know, you cannot often, you know, control or even influence sometimes the situations you're in. But boy, you can, you can control how you perceive it, how you think about it. And you've just really shown us um, that genius that you have. I mean, that's just it's, it's fabulous. I appreciate you saying that, Molly. It, it for for me, I've always looked at even this. You know, if if I lay in bed. And I pull the sheets over my head and, and I, I lay there, quote unquote, depressed for, for two weeks straight. You know, I don't eat, don't take a shower or whatever. And, you know, why, why, you know, why were I bo- was I born to a, a pimp father? And over here, here's what I, I realized. 
you can do that for two weeks and you can ask why, why every day. You can ask every hour, why, why, why? No matter how many times you ask why, it, it's not going to change anything. But what I realized is, oh, okay, wait a minute. I can change the next hour, day, week, month, and year. So I'm going to focus on what I can change because continuing to ask why is never going to change. Even if I was to discover a why, it does not change anything. I still have to move forward. And I'm not saying to not, because uh, I've had, I've had to, you know, talk to myself and, and you know, go through some uh, therapy sessions and, and uh, discover different, different things that happen. You know, here, here's a big one. Um, it wasn't until I got older, much older, that I realized that prostitute sexually molesting me actually had nothing to do with me. It was because my dad controlled her. So to get back at him, she molested me. And it wasn't until I got older that I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I completely see that um, because I was, he, he always treated my, my dad was nice. He did not treat his kids bad at all. Like he didn't take care of us, but when we were with him, he wasn't a bad, uh, you know, like abused us, neglected anything like that. Um, but it, it made sense. Like, you know, my dad put her on a corner, but then when she saw us with our dad, he, you know, took care of us, loved us, gave us hugs. And, and, and she wasn't receiving the same thing. So she took out her anger on me and, yeah, you know, that that was nice to realize, but again, didn't change anything. I went back and I said, okay, but what lesson did I learn from that? That's always what I'm after. What's the lesson? What's the positive? What can I take away from a situation? So powerful. So powerful. Javon, how did you meet your wife and this this process of relearning? Uh, to be in good relationship with women. Uh, about that, please. So I will openly admit, um, this is key. And trust me, Molly, I'm going to answer your question, but, but follow me here for a second. I find it amazing that we live in a society that everyone says we learn the most from our mistakes. But what I find interesting is no one shares their mistakes. And 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 I find that to just be so damn the definition of insanity. You and I can get on the internet. We we can look up and find top five reasons Jeff Bezos is successful. Top ten things uh, Steve Jobs did to be successful. I don't give a damn about your success list. I want the top ten mistake list because learning from your mistakes leads you to success. Success itself is actually pretty easy. You got to know the mistakes to get through to get to success. So to your point of how did I meet my wife, uh, I will share my mistakes. I um, went through a, a phase of dating um, fitness models only and so I go to the gym and when I say fitness models are usually, women who don't wear a lot of clothing during their workouts at the, at the gym. And my wife, I would see her in the gym consistently, but she would have on full length tights. She'd have a shirt that covered her butt. She wore a hat that came down over her eyes and she never spoke to anyone. And that intrigued me. And so one day I went and talked to her and, and because she never talked to anyone and that's, that's how she and I met, we met at the gym and, and it was because she was different. And Molly, here, here's the mind-blowing piece of this. 
It wasn't because she was different. It was because she wasn't common. Now, hear what I just said. She wasn't common. Why that's key. When I was a kid, my dad would always say, don't be common. He would always tell his prostitutes, don't be common. What he was saying to them is when you stand on that corner, don't stand out there like every other prostitute. Don't be common. Don't dress like every other prostitute. Don't be common. When you're in the bed, don't be like every other prostitute. Do uncommon things. And so when I saw my wife, I it hit me. I was like, she's not common. And that's where I came from. You're you're unbelievable. Okay, the time is blown by. You're going to have to come back again, <laughs> again to talk about the work because it's so moving how you're helping young people. And 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 I think I, I'm serious about that because there's there's taking all of this into how you're fueling a better way uh, for companies to run and for people to lead. So let's just wrap on you and um, you know at, for right now, just share with me proudest accomplishment. Uh, that the pr- proudest accomplishment is that I did not repeat. Uh, my my dad, you know, my dad had 23 kids. The most he had by one woman uh, was three. So that tells you how much he got around. Um, I, I have my wife. I have my four children. I did not repeat that that cycle. Um, and, and also, I was able to create a life that I had to learn how to create. I, you know, I live, I live in a gated community. My kids go to private Christian school. You know, I've t- taken my kids to, my oldest is eight years old. They've been to Disney World like three times. We're going again uh, for Thanksgiving. So uh, all the things that I never knew existed, didn't know how I, I was able to create that. And I tell people all the time, you know, it's, if you told me I had to relive my childhood five more times to have the life that I have, oh, sign me up. Even this, Molly, I and, and I know we'll, we'll talk about this. I One, I appreciate you offering for me to come back, but um, I've been the president of a software company that we scaled, and I don't write code. And here I am now, the CEO of a publishing company, and I can't spell, can't tell you an adverb from an adjective. And, and God bless America. So, so when, when I tell people, you know, my proudest accomplishments is I've done what everyone never expected of me, told me I couldn't do. And, and, and it, what's critical to that is so many people want to lash out at others. I got back at you. I, I, I did it. No, I did it for me. I didn't do it for anybody else. I did it for me. So I don't really give a damn that someone told me I couldn't do it. I accomplished it because I believed and loved it, loved myself and told myself I could do it. Believe in yourself. Love yourself. Javon, you're amazing. You shine so brightly. Um, kudos to you for like walking the walk. Uh, your role modeling, how we can be powerful agents for change, starting within, starting within. So I want to appreciate you for being part of the solution helping all to be safe, seen, and heard, and our true and very best selves. You take good care, and we will have you back very soon. Thank you, Molly. I greatly appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you more than I can possibly articulate. Wow. Wow, folks. Okay, my thought for the week from Javon, we all make mistakes in life and in business, but only fail if we stop trying. So don't ever stop trying. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please. 
be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Javon's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Homelessness is a problem that's more costly to ignore than solve. The U.S. spends $12 billion a year responding, but resources alone aren't enough. I'd like you to know there are cities and counties proving what does work. Partnering with Community Solutions, a nonprofit I'm on the board of, more than 80 communities around the country are succeeding in ending homelessness, beginning with chronic and veteran homelessness. They convene local leaders around data and are changing how they work and spend their resources. So homelessness becomes rare. More than half have already reduced the number of people experiencing chronic and veteran homelessness with commitment to get to zero. What can you do? Visit www.built40.org and see whether your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real time? Do you know every homeless person by name? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness is an intractable problem. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out SayItSkillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 